Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at Adelphi Racing Club. Adelphi is a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It's a true community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates, as well as on their own, and the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership, without the administrative hassle, with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi offers an interactive ownership experience with real-time access to other partners, trainers, bloodstock advisors, and other members of the team. Adelphi partners receive frequent multimedia content on their horses, including videos, photos, and partner-only podcast content provided by the In The Money media team, as well as on-track and off-track hospitality experiences of the highest quality. Adelphi has an exciting class of yearling prospects by horses such as Street Sense, Lauban, Frosted, and Taprit, and will be launching a brand new claiming and private purchase partnership in January. Join the club. There are a few ways that you can get in touch with the folks at Adelphi. Let's start with the website, adelphiracing.com. Email matt at adelphiracing.com and on social media, Instagram at adelphi underscore racing and Twitter at Adelphi Club, that is Delphi Racing Club. Be sure to check them out. Now, on to episode 99. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, January the 17th, 2022. This is episode 99 of the podcast. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find it a few different ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Basically anywhere you download and listen to your podcasts, you can find this show. If you're looking for an alternative, you can head on over to YouTube and search bar Matt Bernier Show. You get this episode along with the 98 prior. Going to keep this week very, very tight. We'll wrap things up talking about some football, looking back on this past weekend, looking ahead to next week in the divisional round of the NFL. But there were enough people who I've heard from both on social media and beneath the video player on YouTube about the Eclipse Awards. Now, I at one time had a vote in the Eclipse Awards when I worked with the Daily Racing Forum. And I, I could go and, you know, submit paperwork to get an Eclipse Award vote for really from now on if I wanted to, but I, I haven't been so inclined. Uh, but because it is good fodder and it's something to discuss, and, and these are still important awards, not just for the, the individuals, the horses that are involved and the connections and whatnot, but, I mean, these are going to be names that go down in, in the books, in the history books, about who won what when. I'm going to stick to the Equine Awards, and I will not include the Steeplechase Award because I don't know anything about steeplechase racing. So, and I know some people say, you know, don't abstain. I don't know anything about it. I'm not going to comment on it. We're going to stick to two-year-old male, two-year-old female, three-year-old male, three-year-old female, older dirt male, older dirt female, male turf, female turf, male sprinter, female sprinter. And I'm going to pick them from the finalists, not from outside of that. So the three finalists that are listed in each division we're going to rip through those, and we'll start with the two-year-old males. Corniche, Jack Christopher, Modern Games. I appreciate the idea of Modern Games. I can't do it because he, he raced here one time. I think he's very good. I think he's very good, but I can't do it. Jack Christopher, as brilliant as he was missing the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, I think, put it this way, if something crazy had happened in the Juvenile, I, could have, I would have easily said Jack Christopher is the winner. But 
something crazy didn't happen in the juvenile. Corniche went out there and won and just added to his credentials. To me, Corniche, no questions asked, is the two-year-old male champion. Two-year-old female champion. Echo Zulu, Juju's Map, Pizza Bianca. I think Pizza Bianca is very good. Uh, I've already said it a few different times. I like Juju's Map a lot. This is a slam dunk. If it's not unanimous, Echo Zulu, there's a problem. Three-year-old male, and this is the one that I, I've had enough people comment on, and I think it is going to be a really interesting vote. Essential quality, life is good, Medina spirit. First things first, talent-wise, I, I, many of you who have listened to this show over the past uh, six to eight months, you already know my feelings, maybe even longer than that, we're almost at a year. Um, life is good is the most talented of those three, it, and I, it's not close, but his credentials don't stack up to the other two. To me, he is third as far as the voting is concerned. Talent-wise, though, I think he would just destroy both of them. It really boils down to essential quality or Medina spirit. And the, the, the logic for essential quality is volume. He won more graded stakes races compared to Medina spirit. He ran more frequently than Medina spirit did. He should be three-year-old male champion. The case for Medina Spirit is he won the Kentucky Derby, which is still, whether I think it should be or not, the most important race that we have in the United States, even probably more so than the Breeders' Cup Classic, which again is crazy to me, but it is what it is. He won that race. He beat older horses. And he was the highest finishing three-year-old in the Breeders' Cup Classic. But he didn't win nearly as many races and he didn't race nearly as frequently as essential quality. To me, if I were voting in this division, it would be as simple as, regardless of how the whole thing plays out with the Kentucky Derby, Medina Spirit won the Derby, he beat older horses, and the two times he faced essential quality, he finished ahead of him. I would vote for Medina Spirit, three-year-old male, over essential quality. It's not a knock against essential quality, but just the way that I laid it out. Even if you if you take the Derby away, sure, but we're not gonna. That's not gonna be resolved by the time the awards happen. Medina Spirit won the biggest race there is for three-year-olds. He beat older horses, something essential quality did not do. And on the two occasions that they ran into one another, Medina Spirit finished ahead of essential quality. I don't know that I really need much more to to, to bolster that opinion. Medina Spirit, to me, should be the three-year-old male champion. Three-year-old female, Clarier, Malathot, Santa Barbara. It shouldn't be Clarier. Let's make that clear. I love Clarier. Again, I was screaming my lungs out at the top of the lane, or turning for home anyway, in the Breeders' Cup distaff because I thought she had it, and she just flattened out at the end because she was carried a million paths wide. I loved Santa Barbara. thought she was brilliant in the races that she ran over here. But in a bit of a messy division all around, Malathot's got the biggest one. She won one of the big ones up at Saratoga. She acquitted herself well against the older fillies and mares. I think Malathot has to be three-year-old female. I'd be very, very surprised if Santa Barbara won that. And, and it would be, I mean, it would be kind of a farce if Clarier won. And I don't mean that, again, I love Clarier, but she doesn't deserve three-year-old female. Malathot should be the winner. Older Dirt Male, Nixco, Maxfield, Mystic Guide. This is another one. It should be an, a slam dunk, case, closed, X, Y, and Z. 
Knicks go, Knicks go, Knicks go. The other two really don't have any kind of case to go against Knicks go for all the races that he won. Even with those couple of clunkers, one of them in Saudi Arabia, which whether you want to consider that or factor that in or not, that's entirely up to you. But his clunker in the Met Mile, aside from that, the Pegasus, the Whitney, the Breeders' Cup Classic. I know he's got a couple other wins mixed in there. But those big three... They, they tower over anything that the other two did. And I love I love Mystic Guide. Unfortunately, he's going to be sidelined for a bit. But um, it, it's Nick's go. Should be unanimous. Older Dirt Female. Latruska, March Lorraine, She Dares the Devil. If you want to say that because it was on the biggest stage and Latruska laid an egg, that you're not going to vote for her and you're going to vote for March Lorraine, phew, boy, it's tough. Marsha Lorraine ran here one time. She was 50 to 1. Great story. Fun story. She needed a pace meltdown. Basically, everyone else went out of their way to make sure Latruska wasn't going to win that race. Because if she was allowed to get out there on the front like she had throughout the entirety of the year, she was going to win. I would not... I would be disappointed if it's not nearly unanimous for Latruska. We all know my affinity for She Dares the Devil. Her campaign is not nearly what Latruska's was. March Lorraine, great story. I don't think you should win a divisional award on the merit of one race when you were a 50 to 1 shot where the pace was just, I mean, it was it was the meltdown of all meltdowns. Great story. Don't think she should really be considered. I think it should be Latruska. I think it should be pretty close, or a pr- pretty clear cut, I should say. Uh, close to unanimous, put it that way. Uh, male turf, and this is one that, it, it's a tough call. Domestic spending, Space Blues, Ybir. Space Blues wins the mile, Ybir wins the turf. Domestic spending doesn't have an opportunity to run in the turf, would have been the favorite. The problem for domestic spending, as much as I like him, and I think he is, to me, clearly the best of these three, and I shouldn't say of these three, because Space Blues is kind of doing something different, but he shouldn't win that Space Blues shouldn't win on one race. Same idea for March Lorraine. You shouldn't win a divisional award in the United States based on one race you ran here. So Space Blues to me is out. As much as I think domestic spending is the better horse over your beer, the fact of the matter is domestic spending only won, what, two, two races? He won the Turf Classic and he won the Manhattan. He was pace compromised when I think he was best in the Arlington Million. And then that was it. If we're basing it off of two races, Yabir won the turf and he won the race at Belmont. I'm not a Yabir fan, but I think I have to go with Yabir. And I maintain that. I think domestic spending is a much better horse than Yabir. But if you're going on credentials and accolades... And how the two stack up against one another head-to-head. A turf classic and a Manhattan. Two of the premier turf races that we have in the United States. I don't think they stack up to the Breeders' Cup turf. And the race that this horse won at Belmont Park. I just don't. It's unfortunate because I think domestic spending would have won. And had he won, he would have had an argument to be one of the finalists for Horse of the Year. Female turf. Loves Only You, Santa Barbara, Warlike Goddess. 
again, this is a very difficult call here because Santa Barbara, unfortunately, we only got to see her a couple times until she unfortunately got injured and needed to be euthanized. She's out to me. Loves Only You has one race here, and it happened to be the big one, and she won. Warlike Goddess, because she ran as well as she did, and I was dubious of her going into the Philly and Mare turf, because she ran as well as she did, with the body of work that she put together in the United States, it's it, it, I don't love the feel of it, but I would probably vote for her over Loves Only You because it was a close margin in the in the Philly and Mare turf. It's not like Loves Only You destroyed Warlike Goddess. Warlike Goddess was right there. She won a grade one here in the States, and she won multiple other graded stakes in the United States. I have a very difficult time giving a, a an award to a horse who comes here for one race and wins it. Granted, it's the biggest one that we've got, but you didn't you, you gotta run here more than one time. At least I feel like you do. I would go with Warlike Goddess in the uh, female turf division. Male Sprinter, this will be a fun one. Aloha West, Flightline, Jackie's Warrior. To me, there's only one horse that I would vote for. Now, again, I don't have a vote. I would only vote for one horse in this division. And it would be Jackie's Warrior. No, he didn't win the sprint. He lost the biggest race of his career. I get it. But he was hurt. We found that out after. He had a bit of a chip. Aloha West, great story. Good horse. Wins the Breeders' Cup sprint. Bit of a surprise fashion. Still think he's probably better going longer. Seven, one-turn mile type. But his only real win was the sprint. And then there's Flightline. From a pure talent standpoint, he's the most talented. And that's saying a lot, because I think Jackie's Warrior is a hell of a racehorse. I, if I'm not going to give the award to Aloha West for winning the Breeders' Cup Sprint, how can I possibly give the award to Flightline for winning the Malibu against three-year-old restricted company in his only graded stakes race? If, if Flightline gets the award, it's not on merit. It's on talent. And as far as I know, that's not what you're you're trying to crown, the, the divisional champion. Was Flightline's campaign worthy of a, a season-ending award? He ran three times all year, one time against a graded stakes group, and it happened to be against three-year-old restricted stakes company. Jackie's Warrior danced all the dances, and if he wore, if he didn't get hurt, I think he would have at least... He probably would have run his race. It was the only real clunker that he delivered, other than at the very beginning of the year when they tried two turns with him, which we know isn't his game. Otherwise, he showed up, he danced every dance, he buried some really good racehorses. And I just, I can't possibly, I can't possibly say that I would support a vote for Flightline in that division, despite him being an otherworldly talent. You ran in one graded stake. It was a three-year-old restricted stake. If I'm not going to give Aloha West, who won the Breeders' Cup Sprint, the award based on that one win, how could I possibly give it to Flightline? Jackie's Warrior would be my vote there. 
And the Philly Mare Sprinters, Bella Sophia, CC, and Gamine. I think to me, I think it has to be CC. She did enough during the year. It wasn't a brilliant campaign, but she won enough and won the big one over both of these two that I think she not only deserves it from a seasonal standpoint, but she wins the head-to-head matchups. Very similar to the way that I laid out the idea of Medina Spirit versus Central Quality. He's got the two head-to-head wins. And maybe he didn't win both of those races, but he finished ahead of Essential Quality in both of those. And you include his win over older horses as well. I think that, to me, is enough to put him on top. CC, no, wasn't a brilliant campaign, but it was a good campaign. And in the biggest race, she defeated both of the other two. And that differs a little bit from what I was talking about with Love's Only You. Yes, she defeated Warlike Goddess in their only matchup, but she only ran here one time. Warlike Goddess, on the whole, I thought it was a much more complete campaign. And Horse of the Year, there is absolutely no question. It would be a a stunner, stunner, stunner. I don't even know who the uh, Horse of the Year finalists are. Let's find out. Everybody loves to listen to. Everyone loves to listen to. Someone reading. I don't know who the finalists are for Horse of the Year. Doesn't really make a difference. I mean, this this is Nick's goes to Nick's goes the Horse of the Year. Uh, I would just love to know if Echo Zulu was a finalist because I think she actually is a compelling case to say that she could have been one. But uh, the point being, Nick's go should be a unanimous Horse of the Year, and it sets up again. I'm thrilled to be going down there. We'll have the show on NBC. The showdown in two weeks' time between him and life is good. And it sounds like they're having a hard time filling the race. I'm not surprised. I think this this is very much setting up to be a match race on paper. When you see the, the list of other horses, good horses. They're not in the same league as the top two. They both want to go. It's setting up to be a match race. And maybe something crazy will happen. But uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Life is good versus what should be a slam dunk cinch, no doubt about it, horse of the year in Nick's go. So let me know what your thoughts are about any of those divisions beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. It's always fun to get into award season and talk about different ways things can go and who supports who and this, that, and the other. Um, those are just my two cents on the whole situation. Now let's roll into divisional round of the NFL playoffs and and that'll be a wrap. Hopefully this is, I'm looking be right around 28, 29 minutes for the week. So um, hopefully we can smoke out some winners for next week's football games. All right, let's wrap up this week's show looking at the divisional round of the NFL postseason. Uh, Wild card weekend is not over just yet. I'm recording this Monday afternoon. We still have the cards and the Rams game tonight. So that'll make next week's projections with the Bucks a little bit Well, you're going to get two of them, but I'm not going to be able to use my sort of ensemble, my real model, because one big portion of that is incorporating the sports book. And without a line for either of those games or whatever the game would end up being, there's just one pretty major element that's missing. But you still get a pretty good idea. The the numbers are, I feel pretty good about them. So first, let's go back and look at last weekend and see how all those numbers went. Uh, The Raiders and the Bengals, I had the Bengals winning 28 to 19. They won 26 to 19. 
Patriots and Bills had the Bills winning 26 to 22. They won 47 to 17. Uh, the Eagles and the Bucks, I had the Bucks winning 29 to 22. They won 31 to 15. 49ers and Cowboys, I had the Cowboys winning 31 to 22. The 49ers won 23 to 17. Steelers and Chiefs, I had the Chiefs winning 30 to 18. They won 42 to 21. And again, tonight's game still yet to be determined. Which, for those of you that missed last week, I have the Rams winning 30 to 24. This week's games coming up, the ones that are set in stone, and then also uh, the potential matchup for whoever ends up playing Tampa, along with something I didn't do last week that I'll do this week, some projections as far as stat lines are concerned. That's another piece of my model that I throw in there. Um, Just crunches a bunch of different numbers, and I'm not going to get into all the minutiae of how these numbers come up, but they've been pretty good so far. Do with them what you will. If you're somebody that plays player props or you're playing DFS and you want to, you agree, disagree, whatever, all those things, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Cincinnati Bengals at the Tennessee Titans. Titans are three and a half point home favorites. The total is 47. This is an interesting case because the ensemble, the big model has Tennessee winning 26 to 24. I have an individual model that has Cincinnati winning 26 to 24. Either way, Roughly 50 points. Um, I, I can see Cincinnati covering this three and a half. If you're looking for some stat lines, Joe Burrow, 26 for 36, excuse me, 25 for 36, 331, two touchdowns and a pick. Ryan Tannehill, 22 for 33, 241, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, running wise, I'm assuming Derrick Henry's back. That would You'd be looking at something along the lines of 23 to 24 carries for 106 and a touchdown. Uh, Deontay Foreman is still going to be a major part of it. I don't think he's just all of a sudden going to be gone. You take a look at some major or key noteworthy wide receivers. Jamar Chase, I have him nine targets, six catches, 111 and a touchdown. T. Higgins, very similar line, six catches, 101 and a touchdown. A.J. Brown for the Titans, I have five catches, 70 yards and a touchdown. So there you have the first game. Let's move into the San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers. I have the Packers winning 29 to 22. They're five and a half point home favorites. The total is 47 and a half. I have one sim that has Green Bay winning by a margin as large as 12 at 31 to 19. Some people are still very much on the San Francisco bandwagon. Look, I was wrong last week with the only bet I made with the Cowboys. They had much more to do I think objectively, if you're not a, a 49ers fan and you're not someone who's just, you know, died in the wool, this, that, and the other, I think it's hard to argue that that game was not more a product of Dallas shooting themselves in the foot than San Francisco dominating. Yes, they were much better in the first half and for periods of the second half, but 14 or 15 penalties for 90 yards. Uh, we know, obviously, how the whole game ended up playing out. I mean, Dallas had a number of blunders that all of those things, you also have Garoppolo going for 170 yards and an interception. All the things that Dallas did wrong, San Francisco still only won by six. Now you're going to go up into Green Bay on Saturday night. I just, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, Maybe San Francisco is just much better, much better than I've given them credit for. I, just, I still think they're just kind of average. Debo Samuel, though, is probably the best player in football right now, just all around, because of all the things that he can do, whether it's taking carries out of the backfield, whether it's you know screens or just general routes. He, he is an incredible, incredible football player. And like I said, maybe I'm wrong about San Francisco, but I just think they're kind of average, and if Dallas didn't piss all over themselves, I think they probably would have won. 
I don't expect Green Bay to do that. I expect Green Bay to go out there, handle their business like the one seed, like the team that they've been all season long. I have Green Bay winning 29-22. to If you're someone, again, looking for some stats, Garoppolo, I have 19 of 30 for 243, two touchdowns and a pick. Aaron Rodgers, 25 of 35, 273 touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, from a running standpoint, Elijah Mitchell, I've got him 15 for 73. The interesting thing, for whatever reason, and again, I'm not going to get into all the details of it, um, from a Green Bay standpoint, I have both running backs kind of... Very, very comparable numbers. A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, uh, 39 yards for Dillon, 45 yards for Jones on effectively the same workload. Uh, From a receiving standpoint, some of the notables, Debo Samuel, uh, 5 for 77. George Kittle, 5 for 57. Devontae Adams, 10 targets, 8 catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Let's move on to the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. This might be the game of the weekend. might be the game of the entire postseason, if we're being honest. the line is Kansas City minus two at home. The total is 54 and a half. <laughs> My ensemble has this game 27 to 27. 54. Smack dab right on the number. I don't have a lean either way. The one thing that is interesting about this one, and again, I, I, th- there are many facets that go into this number for the way that I put things together. I have one that suggests the game is going to blow 54 and a half out. And I have another that has Buffalo winning 23 to 19, which would come well under the 54 and a half. A couple other pieces end up bringing everything very, very tight to the 27, 27 sort of projection. But um, it's a game I'm going to be really interested to watch because as much as Buffalo, as good as Buffalo was on Saturday night, I think that had as much to do with new England being completely inept on defense um, you don't think you're going to get that from the Chiefs, but you know, I, at this point, I honestly I don't even know what to to make of of Buffalo. Are they just? And I don't when I say that I don't think they're you know ripe for getting their doors blown off. It's if that is what they are, they're going to win the Super Bowl. Who, who's possibly going to run with them like that? I think more of it had to do with. I think they were they were juiced up a little bit. I don't think they're going to go out there and hang 47 every week. I think 27 is a reasonable number for them. I think a lot of that had to do with New England on Saturday night, just as much as it had to do with Buffalo. And we know how well Josh Allen played. And, and, and Devin Singletary all of a sudden has turned into a, an asset from what really was liability for the first couple of years of his career. Now, not so much the case. Nice complimentary piece. I have 27 to 27. If you're playing the spread, I guess you would take Buffalo with the points. But it's a game I'm interested in sitting back and watching because... I clearly don't have any real real push there one way or the other. Now, let's get into oh, and, and let's get some uh, numbers for you. Josh Allen 25 for 38, 266 a touchdown and a pick. Pat Mahomes 25 for 37, 215 a touchdown and an interception. Uh Singletary 10 for 50, Josh Allen 6 for 45 on the ground. Uh some notable running, uh, excuse me, uh, receiving numbers. Uh Steph Diggs 10 targets Six catches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. Dawson Knox also with a touchdown, three for 45 there. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Basically, the interesting thing for me from a receiving standpoint with Kansas City, I didn't have anybody expected to just blow the doors off this thing. Uh, I had their leading receiver being Tyreek Hill at 48 yards, and that's assuming he is fully healthy and and good to go, all that sort of stuff. Um, But basically, it's going to be kind of, my projection is spread the ball out to a number of different people. Might not be the high-flying offense that we've come to expect from Kansas City, but really that hasn't been them all season. They've been a little bit more muted compared to 
two, three, four years in, in these past uh, this past run. So uh, that's what I'm looking at with that game. And now the projections for two different games. Let's start with if Arizona wins on Monday night. Arizona and Tampa. There's no spread, so I can't factor that in. I have Tampa winning 32-25 to over Arizona. That equals 57 points. If you're looking for some numbers, Kyler Murray, 29 for 41, 308, two touchdowns and a pick. Tom Brady, 31 for 45, 307, three touchdowns and a pick. Uh, some running numbers, James Conner, 10 for 34. Chase Edmonds, 7 for 34. Uh, playoff Lenny, 12 for 61. I assume he's going to be ready to go next week. Uh, some receiving numbers, Christian Kirk, 5 for 74. Uh, Rondale Moore even getting a couple of uh, plays in there. From a Tampa standpoint, and these numbers I readily admit could be a little inflated, but factoring in some of the key losses that they've got, Mike Evans, 7 for 125 and 2. Rob, Gronkow- Rob, Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski, 7 for 128 and a touchdown. Now, if it's the Rams that prevail on Monday night, I have Tampa winning again, but in a much tighter game, 29-25. to 25. We have no spread, so we don't know what that would look like. But if we're looking at it from a projection standpoint, Matt Stafford, 28-42, 3.06, two touchdowns and one. Very similar numbers to those from Kyler Murray. Uh, Brady's numbers go up a tick as far as the yards are concerned, down as far as the TDs are concerned. 33 for 47, 367, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Cooper Cup, 13 targets, nine catches, 146 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski, their numbers would come down based on my projections where you'd have Evans at five for 101. You'd have Gronk at five for 105. Uh, Evans would have a touchdown. Uh, Leonard Fournette out of the backfield, six for 51. So many different sort of, you know, possibilities depending on what happens Monday night. But there you have it. Those are my projections for the divisional round of the postseason in the NFL. Let me know what your thoughts are about any of these games, any of the projections I laid out beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And that is going to do it for episode 99 of the pod. Again, we'll be back next week for episode 100 leading into the Pegasus World Cup. I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit about that. Hopefully get our guests locked in and good to go. Uh, until then, you know how to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. And over on Twitter, you can follow me at Bernie or underscore Matt. That's going to do it. Until next week, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 99 of the Matt Bernier Show.